School's out for summer, and Redbox has the video games to keep you entertained. More than 40,000 locations nationwide, so you can rent and return anywhere, and you'll get a free one-night game rental from Redbox when you use the promo code SNELL5. Swing by a box in your neighborhood, or if you want to make sure the game is there when you arrive, reserve it online at redbox.com slash games. Offer valid through July 29th, 2017. Subject to additional terms. Charges apply for additional nights. Payment card required. Getting into video games has never been so easy. The code SNELL5. The Incomparable Number 362 July 2017 Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We're here with one of our other rare but occasional uh, episodes about a movie that appeared in theaters is still in theaters. And we went, some of us, and saw it. And now we're going to talk about it right away. We don't do this with every movie. We can't. It's sometimes hard for some of us to get out to the movies. Like me, I very rarely get out, am allowed out of my house, basically. But I was allowed out briefly to see Spider-Man Homecoming. And I am joined by five wonderful people to talk about this new release film. Uh, by the way, if you're somebody from later in 2017, uh, it's not so new anymore, but it's still a film, and it's probably on home video by the time you're listening to this. Anyway, let me introduce to people present and future my panel. Chip Sutterth is here. Hi, Chip. Listen, bud, I've got radioactive blood. Uh, fair. So I heard that about you. David J. Lore is here. Hi. Hi. Uh, can I swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. I see spiders overhead, but I don't see you. Just spiders. Well, there's your answer. You're always three feet from a spider. So that's right. Uh, Guy English is here and a surprise to everyone, except, well, including him, perhaps. Hi, Guy. <laughs> Welcome. Hi. I just like to apologize to everybody, but especially Brie yeah. for being here. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for saying that. <laughs> so, I appreciate so, that. As introduced by Guy English, Brianna Wu is also here. Let's crack a lacking. Yeah. I'm excited. You have to guess at home right now which of us is going to end up being the supervillain by the end of this podcast. It could be any of us, Guy English, just saying. It could Moises. be. In fact, it's it could Moises. be Moises Chuyan. It Hello. could be. It could be. Jason Snell, this movie really turned off the dark. <laughs> oh, my. Deep cut. Uh, that's what uh, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark and Batman Forever have in common is U2 songs. Yeah. Also, they're not very good. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on and talk about Spider-Man Homecoming. Now, of course, you may you may know that this is the sixth Spider-Man film. Six times a charm. In 14 years. <laughs> and it's the third different Spider-Man actor and production team. This is uh, Tom Holland as Peter Parker. This is the first Spider-Man movie set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe after yes, Amazing Spider-Man 2 was so bad that it, it, it like the explosion blew it across to the Marvel Cinematic Universe for the for the next Spider-Man movie. Uh, and it features a young Spider-Man um, Tom Holland, although he's in his early 20s, is uh, like, what, eight or nine years younger than Tobey Maguire was when he he started being Spider-Man, uh, and yeah. uh, he's in high school, and we don't get an origin story. There's nobody who plays Uncle Ben in this one, uh, which I I find a, a huge relief. Uh, and uh, instead, we get uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. He's sort of your Uncle Ben figure? Maybe not. I'm curious. Uh, I, I don't really know where to get started here. Uh, we, we can search our feelings. Maybe we should start with our feelings about Spider-Man 
and uh, and and other Spider-Man films and maybe anticipation going into this film. What did you expect? Yeah. Did you have expectations? Were they were they low or were they raised because the fact that Marvel uh, Marvel Studios is more involved? Brie, what was your what was your feeling going I, into I, this? I expected it to suck. I'm not the biggest Spider-Man fan in the world. Like I've read all the comics, but uh, yeah. Um, I I really had no expectations of this whatsoever. Uh, I thought the kind of premise was very gimmicky and kind of pandering to uh, the nerd crowd. And I utterly loved this movie. I thought it was by far the best Spider-Man movie uh, yet. And uh, I just think it's perfectly cast. It's lighthearted. It's it's so much better than I expected. Guy, what was your what was your expectation going in, and how do you feel afterward? I tried to know as little about this movie. As possible so that I could enjoy it going in. I got the sense it was going to be pretty good. I liked the fact that um, uh, Peter was younger. I enjoyed him in uh, Civil in War. In Civil War, right? That was when we got a little taste. I thought that of was great. Yeah, yeah. With the, and I thought Marissa Tomei was amazing in that. I mean, she's got a little, a little bit part, but I liked that they freshened up the uh, the Aunt May character. Mm-hmm. Rather than just being like a fuddy-duddy old lady, they actually they broke the trope and they actually made like a full character out of it. My wife and I were talking about that this morning. You know, Aunt May doesn't really make any sense the way that she was portrayed in the comics. Like, unless she's like a great aunt or something, she's like a grandmother. It doesn't make sense that there's a kid in high school whose aunt is that is elderly. There's like a whole missing generation there. Yeah, the comics version of Aunt May looks like if a, if a strong wind came through, she would have a heart attack and fall over and yes, die. Yes, absolutely. The minute after yeah. she's introduced. So I really endorse this Marissa Tomei take on it because if you do the math, this is a much more realistic age for an aunt for a 15 year old boy my my mother's sister is significantly older than her because uh there was a world war in between there but spider-man in the 60s it kind yeah, of made that's true it made sense, sense. It, it wasn't so wacky but i'm so glad that they got rid of that i enjoyed the initial two of both spider-man reboots the second toby mcguire spider-man was pretty good yeah yeah that yeah. was really good i i think i I think just from what I've heard you say, Jason, you and I have a very similar um, perspective on the character. Like I like the, the the young kid making his way in the world today, mm-hmm. sort of sort of style to it. And I thought that this this movie really captured that in in a freshened it up and with a modern sensibility, but really sort of still captured that uh, the essential clumsiness to an incredibly agile character. Do you know what I mean? Yep. There's a yep. Yeah, socially I, clumsy but agile like it's yeah. it's it's a cool None more mix agile of, on a yeah. wall uh david what was your expectation going in i wasn't crazy about the toby Maguire ones i they were fine you know i enjoy spider-man i've always enjoyed spider-man uh and i avoided the andrew garfield ones because the trailers just looked so bad and then when everyone said oh yeah don't go it's like okay good saved money and uh but now knowing that he was going to be part of the cinematic universe, I'm like, all right, you know, I'm going to go see it. And I enjoyed him so much in Civil War that I actually had pretty decent expectations for this. And then knowing that Robert Downey Jr. was going to be uh, instrumental in this one, uh, the, yeah, it was sort of like I, I felt confident that it would at least be good. And uh it uh yeah it met my expectations i was very happy with it all right chip what were your expectations going in they were pretty good um i'm the sort of spider-man fan he i never read ultimate spider-man so when i read the comics spider-man was never a teenager in high school he was always in that sort of perpetual 
college right. Empire State University dude. Um, and my favorite run of the comic was the early J. Michael Straczynski run when he was like seriously old, like teaching high school old, which is as far away from this pure prototypical Spider-Man as you can get that that we get in this movie. I never thought that this movie was less than good. It was frequently great, and sometimes it was just plain delightful. I did feel a little bit sometimes that uh, the too many hands, the two studios, the ties into the Marvel Cinematic Universe sometimes got in a way, sometimes got in the way for me. I think I maybe had a more pure, enjoyable cinematic experience watching the first two Tobey Maguire movies, uh, particularly the second one. But uh, but still, this this was a solid movie. Solid, solid. And so, so much, so much fun and so true to high school. So true to high school that my high school teacher wife is probably never going to see it. <laughs> <laughs> and Moises, what about you? I have a, a pretty strong attachment to the character. I mean, I I was a huge Spider-Man fan as a kid. Uh, when I was a high school gymnast, I, I worked out in Spider-Man t-shirts. I dressed up as uh, a version of Spider-Man, one of the least popular versions of Spider-Man, but at the time, the easiest to make at home, the Scarlet Spider, when I would uh, help host parents' night out things for a bunch of kids at the gym. Uh, huge, huge, huge Spider-Man fan. When they announced the first Spider-Man movie was happening, I was out of my skin excited. And then that really weird hero song played during the credits and over time it got a little bit creaky and then the second one came out it was amazing and the third one came out and it happened oh, no. yeah. and then amazing spider-man one and two came out and i didn't see either one of them not because i don't like the character but because i just the the setup of them uh to contrast with with chip who is an avowed huge straczynski fan and I enjoy Straczynski. I got nothing against Straczynski, but his run of Spider-Man is one of my least favorite in the modern era. The breath of fresh air that I needed was Peter not having to be the cornerstone of a micro universe of his own, yeah. but instead be a a a person on the street yes. within the larger framework of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And as as much as I was concerned based on some of the trailers seeming to give away the whole movie, what I was pleasantly surprised by was those very trailers that I was concerned about then ended up turning out to be very canny misdirections in various ways where mm -hmm. they very selectively edited things a certain way to look like the story progressed a certain way and it, it 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 ended up playing out that the marketing didn't ruin the movie for me it set the tone for me which i then got even more of with the with the movie itself i i feel like their intentionality in running toward Stuff that had not been done or running away from stuff that had been overdone, whether it's Uncle Ben, whether it's the entire narrative having to hook on a damsel in distress uh, climax. Um, th those are things that really made it a lot more enjoyable for me. It was it was a good Spider-Man movie. It was a good high school movie. It was just plain a good movie. It was a good serial entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Honestly, I I, I feel like as a standalone movie itself. Even if you had not seen Civil War, even if you don't see anything after it, it is I, I've, I've had a couple of weeks to reflect on this. Probably the one for me that stands alone the best. I don't think Sony would have had it any other way. <laughs> well, and, and the more I thought about it, you know, it's a really good Spider-Man movie. 
but it's also a really good Peter Parker movie. Yep, I agree. I, I mean, I've I've heard some people who have said that um, they find the action stuff, you know, essentially like other superhero movies. But what elevates, which I you know, I don't know. I enjoyed a lot of the action stuff, but what sets it apart is that you've got this high school movie that is running along with it. So that's uh, that's the John Hughes. which the the screenwriters have said that like they were influenced by john hughes films in writing the screenplay and you can see it like the high school aspect of it is the thing that really makes it feel different that this is not a you know this is not a marvel hero in the style of so many marvel heroes he's he's a little bit different because he's a kid and he's unsure um I, I have a long history with Spider-Man. It's my favorite superhero. Um, I've seen all the other movies. I think Amazing Spider-Man 1 has some things going for it, along with a lot of things that are bad about it. Amazing Spider-Man 2 is 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 Spider-Man 3 level bad. Um, but mm. what really struck me about this is the joy of it, and, and several of you have mentioned it. Mm. Like, Spider-Man, there have been bunch of, a bunch of different takes on this character over the years. In the 60s, there was definitely this feeling like he was really angsty. He couldn't really ever even enjoy being a superhero hero in a way because he had the guilt about his uncle dying and all of that hanging over him and he was a sad sack and nothing ever went right for him and i i never i gotta be honest i never really liked that take on the character and i know that was sort of the original take on the character i never really understood how the wisecracking superhero actually never has any any fun and never allows himself to be happy in his life it it, it never really jibed with me it's it's a similar dynamic issue to the to the obsession with batman being nothing but grimdark and not enjoying anything in the world right and just if, if right. he thinks if he sees a flower, he thinks that his parents died and they dropped the flowers on the ground. And so therefore he can't appreciate beauty. Right. That's the bad. What happens if I turn down the street? It might be a street where my parents died. It might, be, it might be a murder alley or yeah. an assault corner. If I, go, if I go to see a movie. Oh, God. No, Yeah, exactly. So with Spider-Man, like I, the modern takes on it that we've seen in the comics and in some of the and, and some of the films where he's a kid and he's got powers and he's worried about how about it. And it, it conflicts with how he's going to live his life but he it's cool that he's got powers and he shares it with his best friend and they and 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 so that take on it i always liked that better i liked that better when it was buffy the vampire slayer which was essentially joss whedon's take on spider-man um i i like it in this movie i think this is my favorite kind of spider-man approach and as much as i appreciate the artistry and actually the the laying the groundwork for future superhero movies from the two first two sam raimi movies Boy, Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker is just a miserable sad sack. And I don't like that. I don't like that Peter Parker. I, I, right. I really don't. And, and, and Tom Holland, he's a kid and he has fun and he's smart and he's trying to figure out how to do the right thing. And that's the story of this movie. And that's why I really love this movie too is, is, um, he's so likable. It's funny. Um, and, it is it is not a movie where like the, the spider-man one ends with toby Maguire saying I, you know basically i have no love to give and he's just a miserable sob and it's like why yeah who cares about this guy he's just yeah, awful Raimi's, Raimi's spider-man comes off like smiling really takes a lot of effort <laughs> mm, yeah this one's more dynamic and and is like a marbled combination of of all of it that's that's what i think does it so well I think the one criticism I would give of this film is the women in it are spectacularly weak. Now, it is about her Aunt May, but in most of the scene, uh, scene she's in, it's either Tony Stark like hot for her or some dude at a restaurant hot for her. It's very objectifying. Like, that is the core of how her character is treated. You know, the women in this movie, uh, you know, Liz is 
utterly a damsel in distress. I mean, you know, she barely has a personality. Her feelings are not really entered in in any way by, um, you know, by by Peter at all. She's just an object for him to get. So I, I agree the core of this movie is there, and I enjoyed all the joy of it, and I really, really, really love Michael Keaton. But I just have to give you guys a little bit of pushback when you're saying, oh, this is high school. No, this was your high school. I mean, you know, it's it's a very very that's a, very that's a really specific good point. movie. Yeah. My my thing with Liz Allen is that, you know, you you have her taking selfies in the car on the way to uh, on the way to homecoming and and that sort of thing and she has a particular personality and it may not be the strong female personality that you necessarily want it to be, but it's realistic. I knew I knew girls who came from a a background of privilege like her who were also hyper nerdy on the act deck team, uh that sort of thing. Um it, like it felt like a science and technology magnet school like I was in all the way from kindergarten through high school the 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 stuff with Aunt May bothered me too. That there, I yeah. would totally agree yes. with you. That it yes. was that it was really it was real male gazy. Like, hey, oh, she does. Aunt May is hot now. She wears tank. The restaurant thing was gross. I I thought the restaurant thing was totally unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that that stuff that stuff was a bit cringy. I mean, so, some of the stuff that that came out of Robert Downey Jr.'s mouth that read like an ad lib, like the screwed the pooch thing that he tried to make a one two three, uh, you know, sealer of the deal kind of thing, didn't work. Um, you know, there, there were little bits like that, but the for me the good elevated the bad the 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 realism of the high school coming down to really awkward interactions between people like when ned is hanging out in the hallway and the kid on the chess team is like uh chess and that's literally the cut right there um like the 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 level of awkwardness feels like high school um you know the the obsessions that different people have with different things the 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 vainness the uh you know just like the the level the level of Everybody kind of being in their own little orbit and high school meaning everything to them is something that that feels more vividly true than it did in the other two movies. I wanted to mention Zendaya's character, Michelle, who I think is actually the and, and she's MJ, right? Michelle Jones does that. Right. You know, that that is a much more interesting female character. She is also back to the John Hughes thing. She is part yeah, of, you know, she's one of the one of the breakfast yeah. club. Yeah, totally. She is. She's kind of too cool right. for school, but she's a. Uh, She's a very a much more interesting character who is sort of revealed at the end as the stepping up. But she shows up everywhere just because like she's at the party and she's like, what are you losers doing? She, she's a Greek chorus, yeah. practically. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, and at the same time, in the John Hughes tradition, she's like Watts from some kind of wonderful. She is the uh, the girl who is herself, has her own personality, really does not care that much about what other people think or do is just kind of doing her own thing. I mean, the thing the thing that kind of really struck me in this film is is that. This literally was my high school. Uh, going to school outside of Princeton, it was a very science and tech heavy. It was very diverse. And I knew all of these people. It was kind of stunning. Right right down to yeah. to, to Michelle, right down to uh, Liz. Uh, the, th- the only thing that bothered me about Liz was just that I think her ethnicity is specifically to throw you off for the reveal later on, which I don't want to get into just yet because – we haven't started talking about the movie, but it was sort of like, oh, oh, that's why you cast that way. Well, I don't know. I mean, it, it, the cast the cast has got some racial diversity in it among the high school students that I think is really good. And I think they are embedding a a plot fake out inside the casting. But I don't think that's, I, I, you know, if she was the only non-white character in the movie, oh, I yeah, would agree yeah, with you. Absolutely. But she's not. Right. Absolutely. And to, to, to Bree's point, just because I don't want her fighting that 
Battle Alone. Um, yeah, I you. like MJ thank as a character. <laughs> I definitely have like the Breakfast Club vibe from her. I think she's great as a character, but as uh, a catalyst for the plot, there's doesn't really do much, right? Yeah. No, and right. and there's a and you're right, absolutely that um, Liz is the damsel, and we see she's they do. I don't know. It's a very modern thing where they are using her for plot mechanics that are very old-fashioned while doing kind of a layer on top i think of modern giving her a, a better character and more dialogue and assuming a level of intelligence and having some complexity in her character um i feel like they did that work but if this if this follows her role in the plot is very traditional which is she's meant to be put in jeopardy and is kicking the two male uh antagonist and protagonist off of each other right like that's her plot role what does she want in this film? What agency does she have? What is her character motivation other than being a love interest for Peter Parker in this film? It's it's paper thin. Yeah, she wants she wants to win the academic decathlon. <laughs> I, I disagree. As a as a former academic pentathlete and octathlete, ACDEC as a as a as as something that you want to do going into college is not is not like not having something of your own that you do that you care about and that, and that is important to you. I you know when when Peter asks her this is this is really important to you. This is this is something that that is that is a big deal for you that I mean, it's it's not like, uh, I guess, I don't know, a sport or inventing a robot or something like that. But it is it is a calling in something that's interesting to her. And honestly, even though Peter's on the team and Flash is on the team and these other folks are on the team, it's much more of a big deal to her. And the the, the thing about the damsel in distress thing, I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that, that that there aren't issues here, but when Peter goes to save everybody at, at the Capitol, he doesn't know who it is that's inside that elevator. He just knows that it's going on. And when he gets there, that's where it is. So narratively, yeah, she's set up as a damsel in distress, but she's not, she's not directly set up as Peter knows that it is her in the elevator and he's specifically going to save her. That's, that's something that I, I liked about it, but it's something that I didn't really think about until after the fact when I was thinking, well, it would have been nice if they hadn't just set it up as, Oh, Spider-Man saves his girlfriend or would be girlfriend again. The, the the angle on it is something that I, I think if if they were going to go that direction they could have they could have just left her out of the elevator altogether, um, and and it would have honestly done done a better job of of expressing that he wasn't just necessarily uh, or potentially focused on that. Um, well, but it's, well, no, he he does know who's in the elevator because he's going precisely because his pal has the thing in his pocket, and who else is is his buddy traveling with? The rest of the team. Yeah, the rest of the team. So um, he knows he knows who's in the elevator. I'm, I'm saying he knows who's in the elevator, but he's not specifically going because he knows that it is specifically Liz and only Liz. It is that he's trying to save everybody. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that there is probably some weight given to it, but it's again, like going back to past iterations of the character. It's not jerk Peter that is just paying attention to the one person he cares the most about and forget about everybody else, you know, and make some sort of a mistake that's that's one of the nuances of this peter that that i like is that he's going to save the whole team who he made a stupid decision and put all of in jeopardy um them centering the like you know cliffhanger on the precipice of doom sort of thing on her being the last one saved i don't i don't think that's i don't think that's a good way to have built it um if anything I, it would have felt better to me to to have Ned be the last one that he saves because Ned is the one he stuck a bomb in the backpack of, um, you know, and, and, and at least, Sorry, you know, I, 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 would, I would, you know, in, in a comic booky way that would that would feel like it would fit a bit better for me. This is why you want to be the man in the chair. Yeah. 
There you go. Interesting. Mm. The in in uh, just comic nerdery footnote in Ultimate Spider-Man, um, Peter Parker's confidant is MJ, and uh, and what this movie does is actually use the um, the Mor- Miles Morales construction uh, without the name of his best friend, who's a guy who's actually a little bit chubby and Asian, but not named Ned because that's it's confusing but they they went the other way with the best friend instead of the would-be girlfriend or girlfriend as the confidant and yeah anyway um it's true let's let's talk about michael keaton can we talk about that because i i didn't expect to see michael keaton in a superhero movie oh wait i want to get nuts i totally i totally did i one of the things i like about the villains in this movie is that their motivations kind of make sense and that they're not over the top uh uh, operatic villains and like michael keaton Mm -hmm. we see why he makes some he makes bad decisions right but he we see why he makes the decisions he's not wrong with some of his arguments that he makes in the film and even when you've got the kind of like you know he is the vulture and we see the shocker and all of that they're not amped up uh brightly colored uh comic book villains they're more just like people who have st- who have some tech got that stuff. gives them powers yeah. well they're thugs and criminals with fancy weapons yeah. yeah and keaton's got a reason like why he turns to crime like these 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 guys aren't going to cobble together ultron you know like they're, they're <laughs> not, not an existential threat no, they'll to the take world. a they'll take an ultron head and turn it into a you know, a, a gun of some kind but that's about right. all they can do yeah yeah these guys, I mean, they're, they're salt of the earth, regular dudes that are suddenly operating in a completely different world. I mean, the movie opens with Keaton and his his crew of guys, and it's it's more than just a perfunctory, oh, I fell in a vat of acid, or, uh, you know, oh, I had my legs fused to me, oh, I'm a villain now. But it, it was it was really uh, street level, street level in the MCU, which is usually, oh, no, there's a giant beam from space, yeah. and it's here to destroy us all. We know that Michael Keaton's character has a chip on his shoulder and he's got a temper and he feels like he's you know, all of the motivation that you need for him to become the vulture is set up for you right there in that in that opening scene. And it's it is grounded in a way that really that really works for this film. This is such a street level film and he is a he's a street level bad guy fighting against a street level good guy. Um, it's. It, it it's almost perfect, and I don't I don't know when you're going to fire the spoiler horn, Jason. This is all under spoiler. I mean, why would you listen to a podcast about a movie that it's in theaters? Just go see. Yeah, it. who even does that? He starts out because he wants to make money, and he ends out um, ends up uh, you know arrested and in jail, and not necessarily ter- dropping a dime on Peter's identity. You know he. The stakes are not epic. He is not a world conqueror. And uh, Michael Keaton just pitches this perfectly. Oh, yeah. And and he starts out the movie getting screwed over by Tony Stark. Exactly. No less. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is a wonderful yeah. touch. Yeah. He's, got a, he's got a very good reason to get a chip on his shoulder. Right. Because it's Tony Stark and the government. They get together and they basically scam his contract. His speech at the end is the one of the more compelling villain monologues I've seen in a yep. film yes. because he's not wrong, right? He's like, look, rich yeah, guys right. like Stark, they take all this stuff, they leave us to clean up the garbage and screw us over when it serves them and I'm not going to take it anymore and you, Peter, should not take it anymore because you also are going to get screwed over by these guys. And 
I'm not yeah. entirely convinced that one of the reasons that at the end of the movie, Peter kind of says, eh, you know, mm-hmm. Mr. Stark, I'm going to do this, is mm-hmm. that he's afraid of selling his soul to those guys when that's not his world. And it's a great speech. And again, he's a villain. Yeah. He disintegrates his partner accidentally at one point. <laughs> that, he does a lot of bad is- stuff. <laughs> But yeah, I thought that's you said the one, this was the uh, anti-gravity gun. Yeah. yeah, that's the one bit I didn't like about it because he just dis- like he's doing it all to keep his crew together, right? And then he just evaporates somebody. There's some retroactive motivation in the in the shockers, like, well, I'm you know I know a lot of stuff, and I'm uh, and he's protecting the family. Yeah, but when he when he thought it was an anti-grav gun, which would have stuck the guy to the ceiling, but it <laughs> and that's funny. It's like pantsing a guy. It's like you go to pants again, <laughs> but instead you rip his guts out. Like that's not on the same level, right? Yeah, boy. And he just I've seems, he just seems not to care. And I'm like, yeah, it's a little yeah. harsh. Well, it's it's accidental, but the, he's got a temper. He's I, I, he just strikes me as the kind of guy who's just going to write off somebody and uh, and, and just move on. He's yeah. he's one of the most practical supervillains we've ever had. I'm fair with that. I'm coming around to that argument. I, I think I said this uh, in the Slack is that. I think I give that character far too much leeway for being a good guy just because I love Michael Keaton. <laughs> I think that's part of the reason why it's Michael Keaton, right? Oh, yeah. 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 And I, I kind of read that, you know, which, which one is the anti-gravity gun? I read that a little bit as a joke or not not necessarily a joke, but as like, oh, see, this is what I, I kind of meant to do this, but I didn't have to do this. Right. And, and the rest of you guys better keep in line. I, I think that was intentional. I would put him on par with Spider-Man 2's Doc Ock as the, the most compelling Spider-Man movie villain to be um, uh, to be uh, threatening, shouty uh, janitor man uh, with wings. But but he like he turns on just enough of the Beetlejuice, just enough of the Batman, hmm. just enough of all of the different things that he is capable of doing in, in ways that didn't come through in the trailers at all and feel so authentic, lived in. Uh, totally reasonable and rational, as Jason was saying. And at the same time, he goes just a bit too far. And that's that's the thing that that's the thing that for me always separates Spider-Man from the villains is Spider-Man makes a bunch of mistakes, but he regrets those mistakes and tries to make amends from them. And that's the difference between him and much of his rogues gallery is they go a bit too far and do not see the line that they crossed. Right. But Spider-Man and the Vulture are both kind of and they, they mirror each other really well. They're both kind of nuanced. Um, in the end, Spider-Man is trying to save the Vulture from himself because, you know, he's he, he, he going to blow up and. I don't think we've seen I, I don't think we've seen in the MCU the hero trying to save the villain from himself um, in, in, in quite this way. Um, and similar and, and then similarly, like after after Toombs is captured and the police find him, and he's just webbed there and he's just shrugging. He's basically shrugging. OK, you got me. This is really effed up. This is you know, he's not he's he's not raging. He's not promising revenge. It's. It's all just it's it's all just really, really measured. The entire film is that way. I walked into this movie and I had very low expectations. And for me, I, I'm not a huge Michael Keaton fan. Uh, honestly, I haven't even seen the 80s Batman movies since I was like a, you know, an eight year old. So, um, I honestly, I just haven't, I've, I've never even seen Beetlejuice. So I, I went into this movie and I had zero expectations. And the whole time I was watching him, 
I couldn't take my eyes off of him in any scene mm-hmm. at all yep. because he was just beyond chewing up all the scenery. And Jason, I just, I really want to mirror something you were saying, which is, you know, his speech at the end. A good villain is someone that isn't, you know, Whipley Snidelash, uh, you know, tying somebody to the to the train tracks, and it's just like a cartoon character. The Vulture is kind of one of the worst of the Sinister Six. I mean, Mysterio, much more interesting. Hobgoblin, <laughs> much true. more interesting. The Vulture, I've never seen any implementation of him that's this old been man even with remotely interesting. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. His costume is like like felt yep. and like a, a bow of feathers around his neck. It's horrible. <laughs> they they took him and made him such an awesome commentary on the little guy getting screwed over. Yep. And he is a villain here. He does cross a line. He has, you know, he's Macbeth. He's gone too far. He doesn't understand it. But he is so relatable the entire time. And I think, you know, that's what makes it a good villain. And that's what makes this a good movie. That I can forgive all these sexist elements in the, the script that, you know, there's a bigger story about human nature here between, like, the little guy getting screwed and like that revenge or that need to like care for his crew, like overcoming him, making him do evil things. The So the big reveal when uh, Peter goes to pick up uh, Liz at the house and Michael Keaton opens the door with a big smile on his face. It didn't hit me for a while that this was a problem because I was so happy to see Michael Keaton <laughs> with a smile on his face. <laughs> oh my God. You're like, oh, cool. <laughs> Yeah, if I went He's to happy. take my prom date out and Michael Keaton opened the door, I'd be like, this is awesome. What a nice guy. So, you know, the story is, uh, I, I think the famous saying is uh, every villain is the hero of their own story. Um, and that is, you see it with him and, and it's done brilliantly that he he is doing, he's the hero. He says, I think at one point, you know, he's taking care of his family. He is the hero of his own story. He's doing what he thinks he needs to do. And yeah, he's making bad decisions, but he it, that makes it what he says so powerful the fact that he's not just mwahahaha kind of kind of villain and that scene that moment and i'll say i I'm not as good at it as David is, but I like to think that I have some expectations, you know, like we all do as seasoned viewers of entertainment uh, about what's going to happen next. The scene where Michael Keaton opens the door at Liz's house, I was flabbergasted. And that mo- and it was just that moment sitting in my seat where I am feeling exactly what Peter is feeling, which is, oh, no. Right. And like all the ramifications. And and it doesn't the, the penny doesn't drop for for tombs until they're in the car and he's listening to peter's voice right but for peter it's in that moment and he realizes now and in fact one of the things about this this uh this twist that i think is a really good is earlier they have a party at their house right that's the party mm-hmm. that, that he goes to and there's some very funny scenes that we haven't even mentioned yet that are around that scene um and my thought and actually my daughter was sitting next to me we we're both like what is this house like this is like a a party house from a movie it's not a house that any of these kids we've seen would live in and then when we go there and michael keaton's there i'm like oh that's why it's such a nice house it's because he's a criminal i forgave it's uh you know it's mansion-like qualities initially because i'm like uh, it's a it's an 80s movie. And, and everything is um everything is worth less than $10,000, right? So that the, yeah, yeah, the exactly. IRS doesn't know about it. with the tax, yeah. Um so yeah, it's it's just I mean, yeah, I think Michael Keaton I, I really do like Tom Holland's performance. I think that he's good as this kid and we saw that in Civil War and, and then you put Michael Keaton up against him and it's like 
it's magic. It really is like it elevates this movie on on so many levels. Like I like a lot of other things in this movie, but that alone makes it worth seeing. I think they're both operating on a certain level of uh, sort of a, res- a sense of responsibility. They're they're both motivated by uh, by responsibility. Every time Peter lingers over a part o- over the opportunity to go to the party or to hang out at the pool and all this other stuff, and Peter affirmatively decides, no, I've got a, a job to do. That's as close as we get to Toby Maguire dourness. But <laughs> um, but yeah, he's. He, he's 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 still light and fluffy and uh funny but he's got a responsibility michael keaton has a responsibility yeah. isn't it great when the lead characters have such clear clear motivations? motivations yeah totally and and i love that you have uh these two charismatic actors uh, uh michael keaton and robert downey jr as these sort of mirror image father figures almost right because he's getting advice from both of them by the end of the movie, I didn't see the reveal coming, which, you know, I, I, a lot of people uh, I'm sure did. There are probably people who would say, oh, I saw I saw that coming from a mile away. I didn't at all. No. And I loved that. I felt so dumb after the reveal happened <laughs> because it's so comic booky. I mean, it, the, like that is the most classically comic booky thing of, well, of course, the vulture is uh, is, is Liz's dad. Of course. The trick is that there was no off-screen Liz's dad, and so you didn't feel like there were two slots that needed to be Mm -hmm. filled, and that the law of economy of characters means that person A goes in slot B. And so that was the way that they pulled off the trick. It's like, I never expected to see Liz's dad. It wasn't really important that I met Liz's dad. I didn't, I thought Liz would come to the door, right? And it's Michael Keaton, and there's that moment of like, oh, right, I didn't, those are are not storylines that I expected to intersect. You're right, once it happens, it's like, well, that's an awful big coincidence but it's <laughs> but it's a comic book the laws of narrative i i, I think honestly the, the the big spread of characters that are in the movie overall is part of what allowed them to hide it so much where we're introduced to so many more people that are part of his school life so many more people just in sure. general i mean one of the members of the academic decathlon team i didn't even put two and two together until after the movie was over was supposed to be cindy moon who ends up becoming silk and if, if they're if they're wow. laying the groundwork for that and the fact that uh, that the childish Gambino, I don't know why I can't come up with his name right now, that, that he's, Donald he, Donald Glover. Yeah, he's, he's playing Miles Morales' uncle. Yep. I mean, like they are really playing with all of the toys in the Spider-Man chest <laughs> yeah. in, in a way that makes me go, oh, maybe they could do like 12 spinoff movies. Well, he's he's playing Prowler, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, which, which is Miles Morales' uncle, oh, actually. Okay, so Ultimate, yeah, yeah, he, right. said, he says, yeah. I got a nephew who lives in Queens. So Donald Glover, it's great to see him. It, um, another thing I like about this script is like he's in that first scene where he's um where where Spider-Man basically saves him from getting shot um and then that scene is over and we're all like that's it for Donald Glover? Like, come on. I want more Donald Glover. Like, they're, they're offering him all these guns and he doesn't want any guns and then they say something about, well, we've got these climbing things and he gets all excited about it and then Spider-Man shows up and yeah, busts the deal. Yeah, because he's a thief <laughs> so they would do it. But we get him yeah. later when, when Peter goes and that is a fantastically funny and good scene where among it's the great. things Donald Glover says is, you need to be a lot better at this part of your job. 
one of the great lines <laughs> yes. in the movie. And then another favorite of mine is he says, I'm going to leave you with the webbing. It'll dissolve in a couple, couple of hours. And he says, come on, I got ice cream here. <laughs> this is great because <laughs> he's just shopping. He just went to the store. And uh, so it, it's nice that we get those two great scenes. With, he has Donald Glover has a whole history. He loves Spider-Man. He, 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 uh, he dressed as Spider-Man in the community episode. He's the voice of Miles Morales in some of the, the cartoon episodes of, of uh, the, whatever the most recent Spider-Man cartoon was. Lots of, lots of love that Donald Glover has. So it was great to see him. And he got some really funny lines. Um, so I, I, I really like that about it. Also, speaking of funny, this movie is pretty funny. Like it, there are a lot of really good jokes, including jokes that um, dig at the premise of Spider-Man in a delightful way. Like they're in Queens. They're in the suburbs. I love that. Just flat out visual gags, flat out running across the screen. Running visual a, gag. The, the like, scene where he runs yeah. across the golf course. Yes. Because he can't swing because there's no tall buildings. And then the sprinklers come on and he says Gol- the golf courses suck or whatever it is. This sucks. Yeah. It's yeah. so <laughs> great. That I, I, lo- I love that because that is the whole Spider-Man premise is like, what if he doesn't have tall buildings to swing on? It's like, well, he's pretty much screwed then. <laughs> and see, and so he is. He can't. He doesn't even do a great job of going through people's backyards. Like, no, he, no, it's no. That, he that, misses jumping fences at times. That, so that's a that's hilarious. a Ferris Ferris Bueller's Day Off reference. Yeah, that's ta- exactly. that's that they're actually yeah. watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off at one point. Which you could say that was overdoing it. I thought it was like let's just go with it. It's so silly. We'll we'll lean yeah, into it. Exactly and it reminded me of the Tick too, right? Because that's the thing that that, that happens in the Tick, which is um, he's he is destroying people's backyards as he's running through them. <laughs> it's really. I hope I hope part of his great power and great responsibility thing is that spider-man's going to come back there and like fix those people's garden shed later because he destroys several fences and a whole bunch of garden sheds but it's very funny yeah you can you can give directions and and save people from purse snatchers all you want buddy but you need to you need to put some nails in that shit yeah well he's going to web it all up and then two hours they're going to be that's great and then two hours later just fall back down again i'm sure there's a setting on his suit for like web nails um <laughs> oh can we talk about the suit we we do that was where i wanted to go next in fact because it's interesting they have this I, I, there are things i like about it and there are things i don't like about it um but chip what do you think what do you think about the it, it's like you know it's the bill by tony stark suit so it's uh, the suit with software this is one of the least this is one of my least favorite aspects of this movie is that um we're we get the character the 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 essence of the spider-man character uh in tom holland but uh we're we're basically getting a riff off of the iron spider arc uh in marvel comics uh that led up to the original civil war miniseries where where peter starts working for tony stark and tony gives him a suit that has waldos and other kinds of powers and all that other stuff and it was such a distraction to me um that for a good portion of this movie he felt like iron man light instead of spider-man and by the end of the movie i was really hoping that we get a line there somewhere that all of the extra functions were just going to be turned off call it training wheels motor whatever but that it that he wasn't going to be relying on the gadgets that aren't spider-man to me i agree yeah and that was i mean that's the nice thing about the end right where he's got the super amped up suit there and he's like no no thank you I don't really I don't really want that. And instead, he gets presumably a version of what he already had. Um, I, 
I like the comedy aspect of him talking to the what 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 did he call her Kathy Karen Karen that's Karen. it right. Karen in the suit I think that's as voiced by Jennifer Connelly yeah I like the comedy aspect of that he's got his own Iron Man suit and he's like he doesn't know how to use it and this is why kid this is why you're not supposed to use these features um, what I what I like is it lets them play with some of the comic book aspects of different kinds of webs and stuff without going too far down that road and but really honestly the best thing about the suit is that they come they came up with some sort of bs technical reason why his eyes um emote and yeah that is that is <laughs> yeah. so good because spider-man in the comics you know his eyes emote and it's like well physics how would that work that on the mask your eyes squint it doesn't really make any sense and it's like well tony stark figured it out let's just go with it because it looks so good i think it's the best looking spider-man suit in any movie because his eyes are expressive the rest of it i could take or leave i think it's funny for the jokes but i wouldn't want a soup i wouldn't want an iron man spider-man hybrid in the next movie right i that, that it's like too far from from a from a writing standpoint i love that they gave him someone to talk to that's true that for me is the main thing about the suit everything else you know yes he can keep turning it off and not using it as long as he still has her to talk to like we talk a lot with science fiction movies like things that break the you know the the ability to believe in the universe and for me when you've got like a high school kid that's supposedly like getting the source code <laughs> oh, for yeah. the suit and yeah. like, he's, he's altering it with a laptop in bed and like finding different APIs I can only assume like that just completely breaks it for me so i i found you know like just once i would like to see one of these movies with you know where they have siri that actually works in the suit like it's buggy at some point i would just love (laughs) to see that and the other thing it's like who did they cast as the voice in the suit is jennifer Connolly, who's an amazing actress but they get the voice to kind of play up the breathiness and sexiness of it and you know she's giving like romantic advice hi peter to, i've got your to, vocal right, fry right here yeah it, it's 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 another way of how this movie doesn't really treat women with respect i i think that plot line could have been done well and i liked seeing like him unable to use the features but overall it just especially that dynamic of a teenager with like a sex pot like suit it just was very uncomfortable for me the mcu has this has this endemic issue of taking all the sex pot secretaries and making them ais re <laughs> replacing them in a different in a different uh function yes i was about to say that's just tony stark well yeah pig. but i mean it's not but, just i agree like, with Bree, but i you know in my head it was like oh brother tony stark right it's <laughs> for the reason but you can't just yeah but that's that's just an excuse blame I mean, a the character fact for is all the sexism totally, in your movie it's true part of the casting is that she's married to paul bettany in real life who is jarvis oh <laughs> which is a great end joke but it's the performance still... could have been less yicky but <laughs> it's very being being the comforting, uh, sexy mother that isn't your mother uh, kind of character, which is just creepy to me. Yes. Um, I, it, it w- th- there were parts where it was funny, like the kiss her, Peter, kiss her now. That OK, that was funny. But the, the rest of it just it just felt gross. It is another example that this is. And I'm, I'm totally with Brianna on this, that this is a dude heavy movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, an intensely dude heavy movie. And that does leave a lot of people out of it. 
uh, in, in the audience who don't have audience who don't have characters to identify with. It, it does have a lot more people of color though than the average Marvel movie, which That's is true. a step forward. It, it so, is a modern yeah. movie set in Queens, right? And they it, it and it 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 is set and in Queens. It. It's no, it doesn't feel like it's set in some sort of fantasy world. There, I agree. We walked out of it, and I was talking to my wife and daughter about it, and they're both like, and they both really liked it. But it's like they're kind of no girls in it, and it's just like that's true that basically this is not a story about women this is a story about a boy and a man who have a conflict and a and a a few other people in their orbit but it is uh yeah there's no denying it that as as fun as it is it's not really about the women are not in it because it's about them in any way (laughs) jacob Batalon adds a lot to this movie as ned um, I think the movie would have been better served if it had taken a page from what what you're telling me about the um, ultimate Spider-Man and that uh, it had been MJ or a, a, a female ca- partner. I think that would have helped the movie a lot. I agree. I think I think in the in the size of roles that they gave women, those women, they, they actually seemed like real human beings and not just uh, to borrow a term from Kelly Sue DeConnick, sexy lamps um, that are just there to exist. But the, the problem with prominence is that like chip was saying you didn't give a role the size of ned's to a female character when you could have i don't know why it necessarily had to be a guy best friend because a lot of my best friends growing up were girls uh you know i just as as, a, as an anecdotal example um but that it, it's something that that i think is a is a big endemic problem to the spider-man universe as i mentioned earlier there, there's kind of a purpose for women and it is to be love interests or villains who end up being love interests and then end up being good guys who are still yeah. love interests <laughs> it's, and it's, it's like that that's that's something that I really would love to see the movies break from the comics. I mean, as a high schooler, I liked that just fine. That was great. Um, but you learn and grow and change and understand, and understand that not everything revolves around, uh, the, the boy hero who's going to save the universe. And then turning Aunt May into a sex, sex symbol. Yeah. I'll point to Bendis's Ultimate Spider-Man, where in the end you get a very strong set of characters around Peter who are supporting him and know his, uh, know his secret and are basically the people who are team Spider-Man. And it's Gwen Stacy. Mary Jane Watson and Aunt May. Yep. And it's great. Hmm. It's a great dynamic. And the, the, it's three women and Peter and they are they are his conscience and you know and one of them is a love interest but the other ones aren't and it's uh it's very good so i hope they advance because there are some characters that could be really good connections although to to back up to to what we talked about the racial diversity i really like ned i think that that's a fun character he is he wants to be the man in the chair and he gets his moment in the chair which is fun he's nerdy but he's fun and that is a that is an asian character um who's also a a bit a bit heavy and i i think he's i'm going to take that as a positive that he's not a skinny person like everybody else uh in every movie ever um i like flash thompson and and i think it's interesting to see what a bully in a in an arts and science magnet school looks like which is (laughs) a different kind of flash thompson but he's still a dick right and i think that's really uh i think that's good of course we have uh we have uh, uh some some mixed race characters there's a lot going on in the high school that i think is really um really well done with the high school characters and like i said in some ways you could argue this is a a more successful movie as a john hughes movie with a diverse cast of high school students who are bouncing off of each other one of whom happens to be spider-man tony revelori who plays flash is a guatemalan american he's uh he's a brown face in a role that is typically played by a chris evans type absolutely the the diversity of the of the kids in classes and at this school in general 
and not being, you know, the, the Asian kids are not exclusively like math nerds or something, or like people are not shoeboxed into ethnic stereotypes that are all over superhero comics. Even some of the ones written by the extremely progressive uh, writers who have grown over time, Bendis included. Bendis has like admitted this. He's like, yeah, I've, I've learned stuff and I've grown as things have progressed. There are things that he, he wrote earlier on in his career that were not as great and not, not as inclusive. Uh, but he listens and changes and and this this movie actually representing a a school full of kids from Queens yeah. that look like kids who populate a school in Queens in this day and age uh, in more than a tokenized fashion was uh, was something that absolutely blew me away. I thought, oh, it's neat. The, the major speaking roles, they're casting this and this and this and, and that's cool. And two um, African-American women. Uh, who who are prominently among the cast, uh, one of whom is much more prominent in the movie than the male gazy bit in the trailer about Liz uh, would 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 let on to believe uh, let, lead you on to believe. I mean, that that role, honestly, in terms of Hollywood central casting types goes to, uh, you know, blonde, athletic, um, you know, uh, uh, like uh, Anglo-Saxon girl. Like that's that's where it's gone in previous Spider-Man movies, in a lot of superhero movies, in most big budget blockbuster effects movies. Um, and, I, you know, uh, the the issues with her character that there are uh, in terms of her not not pushing the ball forward as much as she could at the same time, that role would would in the very recent past not go to a young woman who has her ethnic makeup. There's two things. It's a source material, which is targeted at young boys high school boys yeah and it has been since it started coming out totally um and then there's the formula for john hughes 80s movie and if you combine both of those together like the you need to adopt some of the tropes and i think by doing so i think that this this is maybe where a lot of the shortcomings come from in terms of uh uh what Bree is bringing up with regards to the female characters in that both of those like sort of uh, structures do marginalize the female characters to, to some extent. And I think this movie in sort of paying homage to them falls into some of the same traps while trying to be well-meaning. I hope for better in the next one. Um, Zendaya as MJ, uh, Marissa Tomei, they've got room to grow uh, because they, they weren't given that much to do this time around. Yes. Well, I mean, they made, they literally made Liz like walk off stage left at this point, right? Yeah. 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 So or- Oregon, the, which is the purgatory from which no yeah. one can return, <laughs> apparently. Um, no, I, I, but I, I sense hopefulness and I, I share it that, that I feel like this is, this movie is so good in so many ways and surprisingly good in so many ways that I have hope that with a second movie with a little more confidence, they might feel confident confident to uh, perhaps push the boundaries of some of the source material even further and get away from some of the stories for boys. The final scenes certainly show that, right? Like uh, uh, MJ has that look on her face, like she knows something's up. Yeah. And Aunt May discovers the Yes. yes, that is that so, is a big like, move, right? Is is that Aunt May is now in the Spider Club because she know she sees that he's Spider Man now. So she is now going to come on, let's just say it, she's gonna be his part of his support system as well as questioning what he's doing. And that's a way better role for Marissa Tomei to play than sort of like right. generically worried as and yet supportive aunt. Yeah. Yes. So, I'd so, far rather have her as a mentor akin like than Tony Stark. Yeah. Basically. Totally. Oh my god. <laughs> no, I, I think 
think what I'm really I I'm really excited about where this is going to go next uh, is like a movie because I do think like this was uh, it did very very well at the box office like clearly there's going to be a sequel and there's a lot of room to improve. I think what I don't understand and I would love to like get y'all's opinion on this is you know I'm all for race changing characters to give like a new dynamic for it like Bond. Uh, I 100% for it. I genuinely am confused by what they did to Mary Jane's character here. And it doesn't reconcile with any iteration of her I've ever seen. And I've even read all the Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane comics, right? So uh, one of the screenwriters, one of the screenwriters, John Francis Daly, uh, is quoted as saying that he intended for Michelle to be a reinvention of Mary Jane. Um, it's just, that's how he planted the seeds in the movie, just to make her wholly different. So why tie that thread? Is, is, yeah, is that where you're yeah, going? Yeah. I, I, had a, I had a similar feeling to it where on, on the one hand, I, I, I wanted to seek out interviews once I'd seen the movie as to what the deal was with that. Like why hang that lantern if you're not leaning into more directly adapting something than just going, well, this is just a different character and we're doing something different, whether maybe they're going more the ultimate Spider-Man route uh, where it's more friend confidant than explicitly uh, love interest stuff. But it, it seems like they're kind of indicating that that's the direction they're going to go anyway. Um, the, the thing that I liked seeing in that character in particular was that, she seemed to me much more observant than everybody else. She wasn't saying as much as Liz. She wasn't saying as much as many other characters, but she was picking up on a lot more of what was going on. And I, I think most of what I'm looking forward to is the possibility that that pretends. But at the same time, um, I, you know, I, I wonder why, I wonder why they would say we're running away from some of the tr these tropes, but we're going to we're going to latch onto them just enough uh, because of brand association or something. I don't know. Uh, that, it, it's it's kind of confusing me too. So Kevin Feige was interviewed and uh, and said that the the Aunt May reveal is, uh, is taken kind of from uh, JMS's run on Spider Man that uh, and and he and he intimated that he might go with in the next movie the world knowing that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. I didn't get the read on that from that interview. I thought it was more vague than that. But I do think, and this sort of ties into, I think, Bree's question about uh, why do this with MJ is, I think it's a sick, I think it is intended to be a signal, just like I'm Iron, I, I am Iron Man at the end of the <laughs> first movie. I think it is a signal to, um, to to fans that the con concepts could get rein reinvented Certainly. that this is yeah. not the sp same spider-man that you've seen before we could throw out a whole bunch of stuff uh and i've got mixed feelings about that because um there are a lot of things that make spider-man unique in the marvel cinematic universe as it stands and one of them is the notion that spider-man has a secret identity yes you know spider-man is a neurotic yeah. kid spider-man is not iron man light um, I'd hate for the next Spider-Man movie to get for them to say, oh, let's let's upend everything. We don't want to be just like the comics and make Spider-Man feel more generic 
uh, than it does right now because this did feel this did feel different. It felt unique, not Guardians of the Galaxy level unique, but it did have a different tone from a lot of the other MCU movies. And I hope that they maintain that. So the reason yes. I think that that's not yes. that that's not really what he was saying is that he likens Aunt May see, discovering Peter's identity to uh, Tony Stark saying I'm an, I am Iron Man at the end of Iron Man in the sense that in the comics in the classic comics Peter is alone as spider-man and nobody knows his identity and i think the decision they made is that people know his identity so ned knows aunt may knows uh the vulture knows right i think that's the move is that peter's going to have people around him who know that he's spider-man and that's the narrative move not that everybody knows because i would agree i think it would be really dumb if suddenly everybody knew that this kid in queens was spider-man i think it's but i do think it's way more interesting if he has people in his life he can talk to about being spider-man which the classic spider-man could never do and again which he was already trying to do in this movie right where he kept texting um happy yeah exactly (laughs) exactly right because right right, because obviously the avengers know and all of that too so that's my that's my feeling about this and i know i'm saying i'm a lifelong spider-man fan but i'm also saying that basically if the amazing spider-man run got lost to time and all we had was ultimate spider-man i'd be okay with it because the reinvention is better than the original invention it is by a lot a modern take so i say take the you know disassemble it use the parts that are good tell a modern story they started to do it here they got more work to do but i feel like it's a good move if if the character taking the 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 place in the in the canon that mj whether the ultimate spider-man version or the classic spider-man version of it uh is of a different race and hair color than people are used to i don't care i like that doesn't even factor into it in terms of fidelity to a character i don't see that as affecting it uh either way other than a progressive step forward for the fact that uh that you know, normal is not white. Normal is not your love interest being white. That kind of a thing. It's 27 in Queens for Pete's sake. (laughs) Yeah. I like, I mean, come on, it's Queens. It's the United States in the real world, uh, where in a lot of movies, you know, the mixing of the races is something that is just, you know, just accepting that mixed race kids even exist seems to be something that Hollywood's still allergic to. Um, but, but for me where, where, you know, we'll see what they end up doing is what they end up actually, um, doing with, with the advantage of adaptation. A lot of times people will really cry and whine about things being adapted for the screen from graphic novels being not exactly the graphic novel on the screen. And, the the benefit of an adaptation is that it can radically improve the way that things flow so that it isn't, you know what I realized about this 50 years of comic books? It's kind of one-sided and all the women are chairs. I feel and, like I feel like what mm. we've been saying here is very much like they need to go further. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> more than more I mean, than anything and that's else. what I think I think of uh you know MJ in this movie. I uh, something I was really struck by Liz is this is yet another <laughs> Spider-Man movie where the entire plot is Peter apologizing to the love interest for not being there. That was Spider-Man Boy, Two, Spider-Man that's Three, every Tobey Spider- Maguire, Amazing Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Mm-hmm, yep. it was Amazing Spider-Man Two. Uh, you know, with Gwen Stacy, they really twisted Gwen Stacy around in that film. She was a drastically stronger character than she was in the comic books, where she's kind of this fifties archetype that totally. dies. <laughs> she. She is in um, in Ultimate Spider-Man, by the way. Gwen is also like that. She's super feisty oh, and awesome. smart and okay. a troublemaker. And yeah, oh yeah. They really put Liz into that exact same mold where she only serves for that. So I can, I guess my point to MJ is I can kind of, I like that they're exp- 
experimenting with another idea of what a woman can be in the Peter Parker universe besides someone <laughs> that, you know, he's right. letting down. Maybe MJ is just a friend. Maybe she's a sidekick. Maybe she's a smart math. I don't know. I just, it just didn't feel true to that character. And I wish they'd made a new character instead. It just, it, it didn't feel good. I feel like they're making a statement there, which is, yeah, that's MJ. Deal with it. Like, we are totally going off the map, and you don't know what we're going to do with the characters. I mean, that's kind of... Because otherwise, why do it? It's just an Easter egg at the end of the movie. I think that's what they're doing. It's like, yeah, all bets are off. This is all going to be totally different. Don't expect what you what you what you uh, think you would expect and i think that's i think that's good um but it does make you start to wonder well what does that mean does that mean you're going to take this character who we think is this and put her in this box or not and that's the downside of 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 playing that card but i think that's what they mean is aha this is going to be totally different i i also see there being an upside if if they go the i guess you would say traditional route of mj eventually becoming a love interest in that it is rare that Spider-Man uh, has actually become friends with his love interests before they become uh, male gaze objects of, of attraction, sexy lamps from across a room. And that that would be great. It would be great to have a different pattern for young men. This is how falling in love with women works. They're not just objects to be won and captured. Uh, they are human beings. And it, and you should probably be interested in the intellectual side of the human being that you want to be your your companion, your partner. Um, that that would be a that would be a positive to me. Um, but it would be nice to see other women who are not parental figures or love interests surrounding Peter Parker. Can I do a 15 year old check in? Because I believe three of us here are parents of 15 year olds. Is that accurate? Yep. Mm-hmm. How'd the 15 year olds feel about a high school movie? Did it, did it, did it work for them? Did your 15 year old see it, David? Nope. All he, well, all he needed to know was that it was set in high school and that it was a plausibly realistic high school. And he said, I don't want to see that. Uh, fair I enough. live it. Okay. Chip, what did Will think? Uh, my son loved it. He says it is his favorite Marvel cinematic universe movie of all of them. Um, and that he thought that it was his high school. It was like 90, he said it was like 90, 95%, um, the, the world that he lives in. Um, so, uh, yay for verisimilitude. Yeah, that's an endorsement from a 15 year old. And, uh, Jamie really liked it. And other than the party scene, which, you know, we, we we both laughed at that it's like a cartoon version of what a high school party would look like it's like <laughs> what was the budget for this party um which then again i back off on a little bit when i discover who her father is later but other than that i think she i think she enjoyed it and felt like she was watching people who were kind of like her peers on the screen you know they're all 20 year old people playing 15 year old people or 17 year old people but um but she she also gave it a a thumbs up and uh and you know there's some things in it that i i thought was kind of funny that um some choices they made where they they went they pushed it a little bit with the high school students and didn't have them be super like movie sanitary like the, the, again we're getting to our john hughes thing is like the the high school students have some rough edges and i think that's good that they do that it, it's they're not like the uh, disney cast or something where they're all perfect and shiny they're they all have kind of uh things about them that are a little bit rougher and i think that's good there is a game of f mary kill at one point and i thought that's an interesting decision to put that it's in authentic. your it's so authentic in your pg-13 mm-hmm. movie and and, and mm-hmm. the only thing inauthentic about it is they say f um exactly. because a real 15 year old would not say f uh they would they would spell it all out and i'm gonna save myself some time by not 
having to bleep my own <laughs> podcast. Uh, but yeah, so any, anyway, the 15-year-olds, two out of three 15-year-olds uh, give it a thumbs up, and the other 15-year-old doesn't want to see more high school, spend any more time in high school, I guess. I Well, I will say... After I came home, he said, how was it? And I said, well, it was a lot of fun. I think you'd enjoy it. I I don't think it will traumatize you because it's a lot more fun than your high school because I know his high school. (laughs) So he is he's wavering. He may yet see it. I want to check in on Robert Downey Jr. Thank Mm. you. Can we have a little less Robert Downey Jr.? (laughs) Yeah, you know. I felt like I, I, it, it felt like they, they, I, they were propping up the movie with him because everybody loves yeah. him and the MCU and they and, and I felt like it was a scene or two too many yes. too many yeah just a bit too many like I I love him I was an Iron Man fan in the eighties like when he had like a uh, you know crippling alcoholism in the front. demon yeah. in a bottle just after <laughs> yeah exactly uh, even, even in the mullet later, years. Like, yeah, oh, Bullet Years. The, uh, oh, wow. Every long-standing hero had mullet the, years at this point. When he had like the uh, red and silver suit with the giant uh, epaulets in the in the 80s, and he had like business in front, party in the back haircut. So you know... Love that guy. And love that guy, but you still thought it was a little too much. Uh, I loved the... Iron Man 1 is, I, honest to God, I think that's just a good movie that I can show somebody and be like, look, this is just a good oh, movie. I agree. One yes. of these days we're going to yes. revisit some of these older superhero movies, and Iron Man 1, yeah, still holds up. So... Believe me when I say I I love Tony Stark I, and you know I do a show about Arrow and Ollie is a jerk like the main character is kind of a jerk and so is Tony Stark and so I'm not expecting him to be like a nice guy I don't need him to be a nice guy but at the same time uh it's it this was just too saccharine and too much of an affectation and it felt a little bit too pat. It's almost like, I mean, he's basically got three scenes. It's, I, I, I take it back what I said about it's a scene too many. I feel like the three scenes work, but they yeah, go on, to it. they go on way too long. I think that's more what it is. It's like, I kind of want him to kick him out of the car. You know, I want him to save his bacon at the ferry, which is, I like that ferry scene. I think it's yeah. a really effective yeah, scene yeah. of how it goes yeah. south and then how he needs to get bailed out. And it turns out that if Peter had, uh, look, they, they, if he had they, stayed out they, of the way, they ignored him for so long that he didn't believe they were listening to him, which is it's really on them. Um, and then it's, now they yes. finally it's listen to him, but don't is what that is. But don't yeah. tell him. But I like that he bails him out. But again, it's a little bit too much. And then at the end, that scene at the end, it's a little bit too much. It's like I feel like it, they were not confident enough in their movie. The, yeah, exactly. The stuff with Gwyneth Paltrow and 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 <laughs> I'm I'm perfectly happy to see her there. I I I like what she did in the Iron Man movies and all this other stuff. But it's like. Tom Holland walks off the ca- off camera and hey we're going to do this scene from a completely different movie. Yes. Yeah. We we got a comedy sketch involving Pepper and Tony and Happy. And it's and like wait, we don't they but they're going to get engaged and the last time <sighs> and her we... whole purpose for being there is to be proposed to. I mean, yes. y- you yeah. know you know where that scene should have ended for me at least is literally when she opens the door and says, "Well, yeah. Cut to him walking to the car." Yeah, funny because that's that... where it ends. That's all you need. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I had a bit of fatigue, uh, I, you know, allegorically, I kind of dug that Marvel Studios got to make Sony make a movie 
where <laughs> Spider-Man was constantly begging to be more in the MCU. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. sure. Well, they called it Homecoming for a reason. <laughs> See, I get I get the fear of like, oh, well, can, can Spider-Man stand alone? We need the help of Marvel. But it turns out they have a really good movie here and that the Marvel stuff is less important than it really needed to be. And uh, yeah. it's just kind of funny. I will say, Chris Evans. Oh, man. Perfect. Oh, yeah. my God. Yes. Yes. Is such a nice Your body is changing. Oh, oh my God. I know how that is. feels. Like yeah. doing like PSA stuff in the gym and he points to the to the right, but the teacher's standing oh, off the to left. the left. Oh, my God. It's so and, well, perfect. And the, and the fact that it's Hannibal Burris who gets to mm-hmm. like, yeah. he, like him, he, he, he gets perfect. another one of the best lines of, of the movie with, I think he's a war criminal now or something. But the state know. means, yes. I, but the state says I have to play this anyway. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> How'd your audiences react to the uh, fi- final post credits? Oh, we were we were whooping with laughter. Well, as soon as he said patience, I said, "Oh, here we go." <laughs> I thought it was the best thing since shawarma. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I I think it was delightful um, to have that be the very very end bit of it, and not just another breadcrumb to another yep. MCU thing. Patience. I I love Chris Evans. He's awesome, and I the opposite of Iron Man. Captain America always bored the pants off of me. Yeah, well, they put him in the dorkiest outfit, too. He's got the A on his forehead and oh, all of that. Oh, it's so perfect. It's... Yeah, like, you feel that they could have recorded that before he got frozen, and they still playing yeah. the videotapes. Yeah. 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 And the last thing he says, I believe, is, how many of these we have to do today? <laughs> perfect. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. No, they're, they're, that's, a good, that's a good use. And, like, having Tony Stark in, I mean, this goes back to the root thing here, which is, this is not a movie where Peter gets bitten by a radioactive spider and his Uncle Ben dies, right? They did not want right. to do that again. We've seen that twice before. God. We don't need to see it again. And so, instead, his origin story is what we saw in Civil War. It's that he got spotted by tony stark like he like he's on american idol or something and has been and has been called up for this one thing and now he's been dropped back in his life and that like that that's enough that's enough for us to be set on our way yeah, well ned, ned has something about a radioactive spider he says yeah, they something about a spider it. bite and he's like oh the, no, spider's, the spider's dead, dead ned. Ned. <laughs> and that's it that's all <laughs> i need to know yeah. i like how hapless peter is throughout much of this movie it's like you take the you take the uh training sequence for toby mcguire at the and and you just expand it the scene where he's uh, being dragged by the van um where he even before that when he is going out on patrol and just you know do a flip man do a flip i, I love the scene where he laboriously has to take off all his clothes and put on his costume and web the costume web the backpack against the wall because like that's the most unglamorous life of a superhero ever and we see the whole thing it's very funny or like when he's trying to prevent a car burglary and it turns out no the guy's just trying to get yeah. his car open uh, yeah and people start yelling at him stanley yells at yeah. him. that's perfect <laughs> yeah so one thing i liked about the uh the ferry scene just briefly is that um he clearly overextends himself and it's a little bit wacky that the whole thing gets split down the middle because that thing would have sank instantly yeah but i liked it w- reminded me of uh, Spider-Man 2 when he's trying to stop the train. Yeah, totally. Like, yes. Like, yes. he's going to die trying to hold this thing together. And then he gets saved. Until, in, until Tony comes in and saves the day kind of thing. But I, I like that. It Literally, it, the character overstretched himself and physically we're watching him 
you know, basically overstretch himself. In, in the narrative end of the movie, a couple of things that I really liked. It, we've talked about the comics and the ties of the comics a bunch. One of the things that, that never quite sat right with me was the idea of Spider-Man as a regular member of the Avengers. And I kind of like that metaphorically, yeah, the the top of the top being an awesome, cool Marvel superhero it doesn't mean that you have to become an Avenger. I thought that was that was particularly neat. And, you know, you guys can correct me if you took it a different way, but I liked that in the in the mid credits tag with the vulture and uh, the guy who becomes the scorpion, um, uh, the vulture saying that, you know, no, no, if I knew who he really was, he'd be dead. I, I feel like he's not like giving Spider-Man a pass because Spider-Man saved his life. It's because he still doesn't know that Peter is the reason that his daughter's life was in jeopardy in the first place. And that if he knew that and maybe when he finds that out down the line, um, that that might be the thing that sees some of those guys get together. I don't know, six of them or so. Well, at the same time, it was the thing that he was harvesting that was in Ned's pocket. It's not exactly Spider-Man's fault. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know that he would see it that way. Yeah, no, of course not. I, I feel like I love the the uh, ambiguity of it, that he's simultaneously not selling out Peter, but also holding in reserve his own revenge. Yeah. Right. I chose to take it like he was protecting Peter, but that's because it's Michael Keaton and he could like, He smiles. You know. Yeah. 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 I know how you and Michael Keaton are. I know. I love that guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's one of the things I'm kind of excited about for a, a sequel is are we gonna see him again? Is he gonna have some kind of weird Hannibal Lecter like, you know, sitting in prison words of wisdom for Peter? I'd love to see that. I'd love to see more. I'd love to see vengeance. I'm glad that it feels like they have a plan for him, unlike the end of some superhero movies where they leave the fate of the villain ambiguous so that they have the door open. But it seems like they have the door open and they know where it leads. Yes. It's a fun movie. It is. I think I think we Spider-Man movies really made us decide that Spider-Man movies weren't going to be a thing anymore. Right. Like it was it was not necessarily at the level of like a Fantastic Four franchise. Uh, but oh. but I know. Uh, yeah. Wow. But uh, still lots of lack of enthusiasm for this. Is it a moribund franchise? Civil War gave us a little glimmer. I have watched those Spider-Man scenes in Civil War more times than I'd like to admit because it was such a glimmer of hope. And, you know, it is not a movie without its flaws, but it, given, but what, what modern superhero movie isn't and given what it does well, not only am I encouraged about like the future of this franchise, but it was just an enjoyable, it was an enjoyable ride. And so there, I, th- I feel like it has a lot, uh, a lot going for it. Um, any final thoughts from everybody else, uh, David? I'm I'm right there. Uh, and and one of the things I really appreciated in this was the plotting, at least. And, you know, now I will admit I did not see the the, the reveal coming a mile away, but I saw it just before he opened the door. Well, and sure. you go, oh, it's Michael Keaton, um, which I liked. I like anything that can surprise me that that already is like, OK, gold star. Um and and really, it was it was kind of like uh, Liz Miles in the Star Trek Trivial Pursuit thing, where it's sort of like you know reasoning, 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 and then coming up with something out of nowhere. The only reason I thought it's Michael Keaton is that's what I would do if I were writing this, because that's a cool twist. Nice. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. Uh, for the next one, 
scale back on the suit a bit, give MJ and Aunt May more to do and make the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe more of the background rather than trying to reassure the audience at every turn that, hey, this is the same Marvel Universe that you know. Hey, 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 here's a reference. Hey, Hmm. here's a reference. I think if they do those things, I think the next Spider-Man movie will be even better. I agree. I'm on board with that plan. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of the reasons I'm always happy to do the incomparable with, uh, you know, Holly on it, along with it. I know I'm not going to be the only woman, like, trying to talk about the bad depictions of women. And, you know, like, I know a lot of guys don't like to hear this, but Guardians of the Galaxy is really bad with this. Ant-Man is really bad with this. Uh This movie is bad. Like, this is a congenital problem with, uh, you know, the Marvel movies. Uh, I was actually really surprised Doctor Strange uh, is was much much better than I expected it to be so I you know I just hate coming on these shows and like spending the whole time talking about like gender stuff because it's not my main takeaway from this movie I saw like yes another very pandering character for white teenage men but it was so joyous at the same time it had a villain that said something really substantive about uh who we see as villains in this world and it had a lot of uh diversity which is you know we talk about uh gender diversity enough we don't talk about people of color enough in these films so i i I just want everyone to know i'm not trying to be negative on i really 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 enjoyed this film i just I'm the only woman here to talk about this stuff, so that's why <laughs> yep. I'm doing it. So, well, we, you know, we talked about some of these same issues last week when we were talking about Doctor Who, and and Alyssa brought them up, and I'm glad I'm glad that she did. And, you know that you can enjoy this. Is something I have, I've had this conversation. This is a sidebar, but I've had this conversation with a bunch of people. It's like you can like something and also critique it. In fact, that is kind of our charter here. And one of the things that we c- can critique about this stuff is it is a fundamental problem of. Uh, billion-dollar intellectual property franchises that are based on 60s stories written by white men for white boys, teenage boys, like... It is a it is a problem that the that this is the biggest genre in film right now, and the source material is really not very representative of anything. And how do you deal with it while also dealing with being true to the source material, which is this thing that keeps on being thrown out there? And we will continue to talk about this on and off because sometimes it, <laughs> yeah. some, the source material is not getting any less problematic, any less reflective of, of an era that's fifty years gone by, and a creative challenge for Hollywood is how you make it reflect modern day life. And on some scores, Spider-Man Homecoming actually did a really good job, as we said, but what they didn't do was have the courage to take some of the other core parts of it and upgrade those, which is why you end up with this weird movie that is is a lot of fun and has a lot of good things to say about it. But is it without fault? No, absolutely not. I, I have four words for you, Jason. I have four words for you. Jessica Jones luke cage because you can go like you can go to the source material and do it yeah well. but that's that's I, source material from like 10 years ago not 50 yeah, years it's ago like 2005 true but there are great iron man stories from 10 years yeah. ago there are great yeah, but, spider-man yeah, but the, cha- stories the challenge is that it's still iron man and spider-man who have this backstory for, yeah, from 60 years ago fair. and so well this is what i was saying that's about fair. bendis like bendis rewriting spider-man in ultimate spider-man i prefer that because it's a modern take and it's like okay let's step away from steve ditko please and 
and Can, and move to Brian Michael Bendis's uh, Ultimate Spider-Man because it's a better it's a better Spider-Man. It's a better story. It's a more modern story. Modern audiences will get it. Let's let's do more like that, please. One of the privileges that I have in moderating Q and A's at, at conventions for the Fan Expo people is that I'm on a stage with Stan Lee every once in a while. And right when they had announced that Zendaya had been cast as a character that people were thinking was MJ, you know, Stan Lee doesn't know what any of Marvel Studios is doing with anything at this point. But everybody always wants to ask him uh, from the audience seven different questions about the same movie, and so I just kind of balled them all up into one. And and I I asked him, uh, so what you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about this change in representation and he said well you know look i wrote the the comics that i knew how to write at the time that i wrote them in the world that i lived in and the entertainment that springs out of those should reflect the times that we live in i think it's great i think she's going to be great if they're planning to do blank with her great if they're planning to do something else with her great we should all be able to see ourselves in the media that we love and enjoy and so if anything the 94 year old guy who uh the, the people who say well mj has to have this skin color and this hair color like those those folks who were saying, well, you have to go to the source material and the tradition, the dude who is a large part or not as large of a part, depending on who you talk to, of the source material is like, no, please change it, make it better, fix it. And it's a great opportunity with these films, which have such money behind them and such an audience to to fix it and to do right by it and to reinterpret these characters. I think the worst thing for any reinter or any franchise of intellectual property, which not to just, you know, it's a, it's a bag of money essentially is to say, Oh no, you can't change anything about it. Come on, change it. Like, look, look what uh, Marvel did with Miles Morales, which I hope we will see in a film at some point. I like that they left a little breadcrumb there. It's like they made a black Spider-Man, a black Latino Spider-Man. And it's a great character. Um, and, and Marvel's done a bunch of other, of other kind of like new versions of old characters that have been pretty great. So, you know, the next step is to, uh, is to bring all of that into this, uh, this cinema franchise and they got, they got more work to do. I, I, I have some hopes that they are going to get better at it, especially since there are actually um, movies with women characters on their schedule now at last. But we'll have to see how that goes. <laughs> well, th- they've put together a framework that feels like they actually can go somewhere and it didn't feel that way before. All right. Well, so much more. It's such a it, there's a lot here to talk about. We talked about some of it after having just like seen it over the weekend. This is what we've got for now. But uh, lots more to, to chew on and, and maybe revisit by going back and seeing it again or seeing it on home video or whatever. But uh, for now, we will call this uh, a done discussion. And I'd like to thank the five wonderful people who are here to discuss it with me. Chip Sutter, thank you. Thwip. Very nice. David J. Lore, thank you. Thank you. I enjoy swinging wherever you want to swing. Supervillain Moises Chuyan, thank you. When this episode posts, uh, my show Electric Shadow will be back with uh, a chat with the voice of the animated Spider-Man, Christopher Barnes. Excellent. I, I feel like the paste pot Pete of this Sinister Six. Uh, we are a Sinister Six, aren't we? But the most sinister, of course, Guy English. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Canadian. <laughs> Uh, you hit the jackpot, Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, Brianna Wu. That's right. Uh, you know, if you want to hear me talking about information security and, like, attacks on our nuclear power infrastructure, uh, you know, I'm running for Congress this year. So you can go to supportbrianna.com or briannawu2018.com. Check it out. Well, thanks to everybody out there for listening. We will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>